sheep without a shepherd. You know, what a picture. I mean, one of the great pictures of Jesus in the iconography of the church is the Good Shepherd. One of the oldest icons found in um, cemeteries in Rome, in the catacombs, is exactly that, a young boy holding a little lamb around his neck. I saw it when I was there in Rome several years ago. And the picture that we have here that Jesus sees the crowd after he had, and his disciples had a very busy day, busy time. Last week, Pastor Melky preached about this. You know, the disciples were sent out to do a mission for Jesus. The 12 of them, they come back, they report to Jesus what happened. The crowds were all around Jesus. He says, you know, we need a break. You need to get away. It's been a really busy time, and you need some rest. Well, they get into a boat, what happens? Everybody sees on Galilee where he's headed, the shore he's going to, and they ran there. And here's the vision before Jesus, sheep without a shepherd. It's a picture of people who are wandering, who are lost. They don't have a guide. They don't have a map. They don't know where they're going or what's going to happen. Have you ever been lost? I mean, really lost? It's a scary thing. I can tell you, I remember once as a young boy, 10 years old, we lived up in Alaska. Some friends of our family had a cabin 50 miles north of Anchorage. Okay, now you've got to remember, this is about 1960, 1961, 62, okay? Uh, Alaska had just been declared a state. Uh, They had very few paved roads. And so 50 miles north of Anchorage was like uh, 200 miles, right, on a dirt, rugged road. Well, my parents said my brother Steve and I could go, and so they take us up there after countless hours. I don't remember how long. I'm sure in my memory it's longer than what it maybe was, but it seemed like forever. We get to this lake, And there they take the boat off. They had a jeep. They take the boat off. We then go several miles in this huge lake and end up at a cabin. No electricity, no running water, all right, kerosene, a pump, and an outhouse, okay? Now, my brother and I already were feeling a little discomforted, but it's an adventure. So we were there for several days, had a great time fishing, family was into outdoors, and we did a lot of that and a lot of stuff on the lake. It was uh, the day that we were going to leave, and uh, Jackie, this 15-year-old son that they had, about five years older than me, said, let's go and take a hike up this mountain. I want to show you this view, and then we'll come back and be leaving. So we go up. It was a great hike. Now, as he, before he left, his father reminded him to take his gun, all right? And you know why? Alaska grizzlies, <laughs> okay. And of course, you know, we pretty always stuck near the cabin until this journey into the deep, dark Alaskan woods. And of course, uh, my brother and I are scared. Now, as older brother, I didn't want to appear scared. So we go up there. It was a beautiful hike. We're listening. I'm listening all around. I'm like looking for grizzlies. We now hike back. And you've got to remember Alaska around this time in the summer 
it's light for a long time. Well, it's starting to get setting the sun, which means it's turning about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. We're coming down, and we get down, and we come to their cabin, and there's nobody there. I mean, nobody's there. The door's locked. Like, uh, what did your folks do? They said, oh, well, you know what? Don't worry about it. I think I know where I should go. I said, okay. Well, my brother, Steve, who was about eight years old at that time, starts crying, and I'm telling him, don't cry. You know, you're a boy, okay? So we're hiking. I'm thinking, okay, my gosh, where are we going to hike to? You know, because we already came on this long lake. We're going through the woods. It's getting darker and darker. I, every, everything I hear in these woods, guess what I'm thinking there is? Yeah, Mr. Grizzly, who's coming to eat me. Well, my brother is even worse than I am, and I'm trying to like, mm, okay, everything's fine, you know, we're going to get there. And like weird, I mean, I'm like questioning Jackie, are you lost? No, I think I know where I'm going. It's like, okay. And now we come to this road, which I don't even, as I remember, it was hardly looked like a road, through the forest, like little, two little tracks, okay? And he says, well, I think we just should wait and see what happens. Well, we waited and waited, and finally, and I'm not kidding, I even started having tears in my eyes thinking, this is it, I'm never going to see my mom and dad again, and I'm stuck here with my brother. Not really, but... <laughs> but anyways, we, I mean, I honestly was scared to death. All of a sudden, in the distance, we heard it, and then we saw it, two little headlights. It was their Jeep. They found us. You never, I never felt more relief of being found than that, ever, ever. It is a scary thing to be lost. But you know what's even worse? People who don't know they're lost. Think about that. People who don't even realize they're lost. I was told this story when I was a young pastor in Chicago. In this uh, community, this guy, he would get his check from the factory. Every time he got his check, he would go before he went home. He cashed his check, and guess where he went? Carousing at the neighborhood bars. He spent a lot of his paycheck on booze before he got home. And, and you know who was suffering? His wife and his children. And this went on for a while, and uh, finally, one night, he came home really drunk, and his wife greeted him at the door and uh, helped him up the steps, helped him to undress, got him into bed, tucked him in, knelt down beside him. And she whispered, John, do you want me to pray for you? And he nodded, yeah, yeah. Okay. So she folds her hands fervently in prayer. She says, dear Lord, I pray for my husband, John, who lies here before you drunk. And as she is continuing this prayer, he interrupts and he says, Quiet! Don't tell God I'm drunk. Tell him I'm sick. Tell him I'm sick. As if God didn't know his condition. 
He was lost. Lost in booze and in alcoholism and didn't want to admit it. Know any people like that? Not maybe alcoholics, but others? Lost. When Jesus saw the crowd that had gathered on the shoreline, Mark says that he was moved with pity. Actually, the Greek word there is one little word, and it means that his stomach, his guts churned inside of him. You know what I mean? You have something and you just feel it in the very in the very heart, in the very bowels of your stomach and everything. It, that is exactly the description. It's the Greek word for compassion with suffering. He is actually seeing these people out there as sheep without a shepherd. Now, these crowds that had come from all the towns, Mark says, all the towns, and they, and they ran to see, they knew where he was going. What were they coming to see and witness? This miracle worker from Nazareth. Maybe a healing? Maybe some drama? Whenever Jesus was around, there always seemed to be drama. Perhaps hoping for a miracle themselves? But what Jesus saw were lost people. They didn't know where they were going. Our three lessons for this Sunday appointed by the church all speak to the image of compassion of our Lord. Jeremiah, in that powerful reading, Jeremiah the reluctant prophet, is called by God to preach to a rebellious nation, a nation who had turned its back, and especially the leaders, the king, and all the priests and the prophets of Israel had turned their back on God. They were preaching a different word, not the word of God, and they were supposed to be shepherds for his people, and God chastises them. He tells them that uh, they have not cared for his flock, but he will care to punish them. But then God gives these comforting words, I will come and I will shepherd my people. And then he gives through the words of Jeremiah the prophet an incredible prophecy of the coming of the son of David, the one who would be the good shepherd, who truly would be the king of all, and he would shepherd faithfully the people. In that second wonderful reading from Ephesians, Paul speaking of our good shepherd, tells us what God did. That it is through the flesh and the blood of Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God, who reconciled us. It says, Paul says, he broke down this wall that separated us from God and from one another. He broke it down in his flesh. And through the shedding of his blood on the cross created peace. Paul put it like this, you who were once far off have come near by the blood of Christ. Salvation is through the flesh of the Son of God. And Paul says, because of Jesus, we now, through Him, have access by one Spirit to the Father. Through Christ in this Eucharist, through the very Lamb of God who is lifted up before our eyes, we have access by the Spirit of God to come boldly to the Father. Hence we stand as the priests of God together and pray what? Our Father. 
because of the one who is there for us in his very flesh and blood. Our God doesn't reject us or abandon us even when we do the same to him. What comfort that gives. In our gospel reading, Jesus, the good shepherd, his heart always looking out. Here, his apostles, here he himself needed a little vacation, a time out, a parenthesis in the busyness of the ministry. But what happens as soon as he got offshore? No, no. See, the Lord's rest would come much later, ultimately. The Lord Jesus would finally rest when he would give up his breath, his spirit, and be laid in a tomb. Until then, our Lord was restless, even in this picture from Mark. How often in the Gospels would Jesus tell his apostles and remind us, his people now, that he came to seek and to save lost people? Lost people. Boy, you know, I was thinking about lost. and 17 years ago, September 11th, Think of what happened. How many of you were here, 9-11? Who all remember, remember that? Remember what where you were doing? Yes, it's, it's amazing. I remember those photos. I saw them on the television. I saw them in magazines and newspapers. Photos of missing loved ones, stapled to crayon drawings and handwritten signs saying, Missing my daddy! Missing wife, mother. Please call 555. Those phones never rang. It seems some things and some people who are lost cannot be found. It's startling that after all of these years, 11,000 people who perished at 9-11, there was not a trace of them left. Forty percent of those who had died in the Twin Towers that day are not findable, even down to a trace. And here's the thing. Those who lost someone they love never want to give up hope. Hope of finding something or anything. It may look strange and almost incredulous when you look from the outside in that many of those families who lost loved ones on that missing uh, jetliner, Malaysian jetliner, 370, about four years ago. I just read an article in a magazine. A number of them are still hoping that, that it's going to come, they're going to find them somewhere, some lost island, somewhere. I read the article at first and I was like, come on. And then I realized. 
I'm not the one that lost someone who I love. The power of love to look for that which is lost. But that's the image of God, and that's the image that we find here in the words of the gospel today, of the good shepherd whose compassion, whose very heart, whose very innards churn and compel him to seek and to save lost people. And he won't give up. He never gives up. And through us, through his church, these 2,000 years later, there is his heart searching and seeking for lost people because he has so much love to give. I find it extraordinarily interesting that the gospel reading closes with after we're told that when Jesus saw the crowds, he got off ashore and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. It says this, and Jesus began to teach them many things. He began to teach them. I wonder if those crowds had come to Jesus to hear a sermon that day. He didn't do a miracle. He didn't do a healing at this point. Now, what's interesting is Mark is setting up the stage for one of the greatest miracles of all. We're going to begin to hear that next week. The feeding of the 5,000. But before he did his miracle, what does he do? He teaches them. I think that is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. You know, the crowds perhaps wanted drama, perhaps wanted a miracle. But what our Lord does is he opens his mouth and shares his word. The very ministry of Jesus in teaching in healing, and in feeding, should remind the church of its ever-present duty. But teaching above all is the most important, because it is only through the teaching of the Word of Christ that people are directed to the one who is the King of kings, the Savior of all men, of all women, all children. This model of ministry, of teaching, of shepherding, of healing, and of feeding has served the church 2,000 years. We can only give, my brothers and sisters, what we self have received. That's self-evident. We can't give away what we don't have. Two days after I was born, I was baptized. And I became a child of God. And since that point, all I can remember is being raised in a family, even in the times that I kind of wandered off, but the Lord is always present with me. I don't know when the Lord found you, but I can tell you He's found you here right now today at this Eucharist, this worship. And as we gather, He opens His Word to us as He did to those crowds on the shoreline. And in a few moments, as bread and wine are brought to the table, he himself, through the very lips of Pastor Melky, will become present with us. 
He who is the good shepherd. Through his body and blood, we come to our Father and know we are his children. And as Paul says that he is our peace, that there is no other peace in this world but anchored in Jesus. And he is our hope because you can't put your hope in anything else because everyone and anything else will disappoint you in the end. And he, above all, is our forgiveness for all the times we have wandered all the things we never want anybody to know. He takes it away through his body and blood given and shed for us. At the end of every Eucharist, we are dismissed with these words. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord. How? By your life. Glorify the Lord by your life. My brothers and sisters, my prayer for you is that the compassion of Jesus so fill you that you may go and do likewise. Live what you have received. A life of compassion. A life of truth and mercy. There are so many lost people all around us in our neighborhoods, the people we work with. And if we're willing to see it, sometimes even within our own families. May you have the eyes of Jesus to see them as they are. And may you have the compassion of Jesus to touch them. And may you have the wisdom of Jesus to teach them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.